All right, welcome to Outrageously Unnecessary. We are a podcast all about the ridiculous things that the wealthy throughout history have uh, decided to do or buy with their money. Uh, because as long as rich people have existed, they've been doing stupid stuff with their money. Um, the topics are pretty much endless. And yet here we are, episode 19. Um, I'm your host, Haley. And over there's my host, Steven. Hey, guys, what's going on? Oh, you sound so good. Oh, thanks. Okay. Oh, yeah. You sound good. No. No. We sound delightful. Um, so in any case, sorry, we're a little bit late on releasing this episode. Uh, life got in the way. Oklahoma was having some weird internet outages for a while there. That was strange and fun. Um. Yeah, I think it's fixed. I think it got all taken care of. Yep. So... In any case, I've missed recording with you, Steven. Same. It's been a minute. A lot of life. It's been a little bit. Yeah, a lot of life. A lot of life has happened. A lot of life. But that's okay. So, in any case, do you want to just cut straight to the chase? And I think you go first. I do go first. I would love to cut straight to the chase. The game is afoot. Oh, wait. Hold on. Very quickly, before we cut straight to the chase, I just realized we did have a listener submission, a listener and a friend uh, submission for um, the name of our listeners, because that's something we've been struggling with. We don't know how to refer to you all as, or even if you want to be referred to as something, but I think it's more I want to refer to you as something. So uh, in any case, my buddy... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My buddy Billy, his actual name is Brandon, but his screen name is Billy Motherfucking Maze. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Billy MF Maze uh, suggested the Gilded Gang for listeners, and I think that that's very appropriate. What do you? The think? Gilded Gang. I love that. That's it's so perfect because it sounds weirdly old west. <laughs> it does. It does. It's like the Gilded Gang is like that band of outlaws that it's kind of like almost like the apple dumpling game. Like they, (laughs) they try so hard to do wrong, but they just end up doing so much good. And, (laughs) and their little hearts are like, we're trying to be bad, but it, we're just so dang good. I just picture it as like the town crier getting into the middle of the old west, like burst into the saloon, like the gilded gang is coming, everybody <laughs> hide, <laughs> everybody hide. Oh yes, that's exactly I don't how know. I picture it. Just, it. <laughs> it entertains me to no end. I thought that was <laughs> the best. So from now on, the rest of you listeners are now the gilded gang. If you want to be something else, uh, tough newness. I mean. You're welcome to throw in something into the ring, but Gilded yes. Gang is the best we have so far. So yes. But anyways, thanks, Billy. <laughs> thanks, Billy. Appreciate it, man. All right. So with that covered, do you want to go back to uh, to you regaling me with something ridiculous? I would love to regale ridiculously. <laughs> so diving right in. Okay. So kind of really a good segue from the Gilded Gang is my uh, POI or person of interest, as they say in the uh, the law. What are you, a detective? The law enforcement. Yes, I'm I'm in a huge detective mode tonight. I don't know. Um, But some investigating. Yes, some investigative journaling into the life of, in fact, 
a journalist himself, or oh. the son of a journalist. Actually, I close think enough. The son of someone who founded a paper. We'll get into it. So okay. my my POI is actually from the Gilded Age as well. Ooh, yes. my favorite era. S- such a good era. So much ridiculous d- ridiculousness. So much lavishness. So much crazy fortune being spent in absolute crazy ways. And this person is no stranger to spending their money in absolute ridiculous ways. The person I have tonight for you is a man by the name of James Gordon Bennett Jr. That was a long name. James, James Gordon Bennett. Wait, I missed something there. Junior. That's right. Yes. James Gordon Bennett Jr. Son of James Gordon Bennett Sr., who was a ridiculously and fabulously wealthy newspaper magnate who founded the New York Herald. Oh, okay. He's, yeah. not, he's not one of the normal uh, newspaper magnates that you're used to hearing about. Like, it's usually... Um, who are the ones from the Newsies? It's... Uh... Oh, hang on, uh, because my son has only watched that 15,000 million times. That's why I'm referencing it. <laughs> right. Um, I've also watched Pulitzer. the movie 15,000. Pulitzer. Yes, Pulitzer and yeah. Hearst. Yep. Pulitzer and Hearst, they think they got us. Do they got us? No. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sorry for your listeners. My son has watched. Well, oh, the the Disney version of Newsies was on was on Netflix for like the longest of time, and he would always request to watch it. So much to the point where. Well, by the Disney version, do you mean the musical or like I'm, the Broadway musical, or do you mean like the movie Disney no, no, version? Because no, both no. of them are Disney. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. No. Good, good distinction. So not the not the original with Christian Bale, but the uh, the musical that uh, premiered with um, oh I can't even think of his name, but he's on Supergirl on the CW. Um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I'm sorry. If I know exactly that person who you're ever listens to the about. show, he's which the I don't think you will, who, I apologize for forgetting um, your name. He um, was in a lot of things on yeah, Broadway for yeah. a, a while there. Yeah, he's got an amazing voice. But um, anyways, like so, my, my Lincoln would watch that so many times, he could actually sing and dance with the entire musical all the way through. It was incredible. Oh. It was precious. <laughs> okay, but anyways, getting back to our other newspaper magnate. Um, yes. Let's get back to Mr. Gordon Bennett Sr. And then we'll uh, dive right in because it's a real quick snippet. Um, James Gordon Bennett Sr., who was a Scottish immigrant, he founded the New York Herald in 1835. Essentially, he he built the paper from the ground up. That's another thing, too, with I feel like a lot of people from the Gilded Age who whose fortunes were built on their, their, for, their parents and stuff, I feel like just a lot of work and time went into building these fortunes just to have their children squander it. So good life lessons. I feel like that's very accurate. Great. Like the new money yes. situation. It was like they worked and they toiled and they probably did a lot of really shady business practices, but God damn it, they made a lot of money. And then their kids grew up with money and they were just little fuckers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this was a guy who was illiter- he was a Scottish immigrant. We all know about um, the immigrants from Ireland and Scotland and a lot of the hardships that they were facing back in their home countries and the reasons why they immigrated was a for food for prosperity uh, for a better for a chance at a better life and Gordon Bennett senior he made his own American dream it's phenomenal so within 10 years from him building up the paper the Herald was the most widely 
red paper daily in America. So 1835, 10 years later, 1845, so uh, roughly 55 years before the turn of the century, this paper was the most read uh, paper in America. Um, it had what? a very yeah. It had a cheap cover price. Um, it had very up to the minute news, and it was very very sensational. Of course, back in the you know, you know, back at the, the turn of the century, everything had to be sensational. Okay, you know, going back to reference the newsies, the uh, papes couldn't sell papers if there wasn't something crazy happening in the news. Uh, there had to be always something sensational, always something new. You gotta beef up those headlines. You gotta two headed baby born uh, born to unwed mother. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, point in case, Bennett Senior, he told a young staffer one time that the object of the modern newspaper is not to instruct, but to startle, and to amuse. Okay, great. So, is he doing some yellow journalism bullshit before Pulitzer and Hearst <laughs> got their game on their film? Absolutely, on this? absolutely. He was the he was the forefather, the forerunner of yellow journalism, to be sure. I um, think just getting into the newspaper gang, like at all yeah. during the 1800s, was just to immediately become just a slimy dick bag. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Bennett Senior never turned into that. Um, he um, he ran his business well. Obviously, um, so much so that the Herald, by 1886, the Herald was well-established and one of the most premier and well-respected um, tribunes and papers um, really in America. So 1886 was when his then son, who we'll, we'll get into, uh, he, he, he was a then 25-year-old son, excuse me, let me clarify. Um, at this point, the Herald was well-established and... His son, Bennett Jr., first arrived in New York as a teenager. So, let's get into Mr. Bennett Jr. He first arrived in New York as a teenager, so a, young, a younger man, uh, and he was very, very much all about the lavish lifestyle. Did not mm -hmm. mind spending his father's fortune whatsoever. Oh, not uh, at all. <laughs> He's at, like, this is this is perfectly available for me to take care of. Daddy exactly. made this for me. E exactly. And he started early. At 16 years old, he became the youngest member of the New York Yachting Club. He oh loved. Oh, my God. That's so pretentious. Oh. oh, absolutely. He was like, you know, remember the early 2000s where like all like the really preppy jock guys had like their collars flipped up on their American Eagle polos? Yes. This was Bennett Jr. He was the American Eagle Poldo flipped up collar boy of his day. A hundred percent. Oh, he's a prep boy. <laughs> Why um, do I picture him? I, you haven't sent me any photos of him, but I do have this image in my oh, no. mind. You do. You, let me just explain the image I have of him in my mind. Yes. You know how me. like a lot of wealthy, uh, wealthy white men for some reason all have like. The, the gum to teeth ratio is a lot of gum, less teeth, and kind of like the pulled back lip like they're, uh, they just smelled a fish. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of they are turning into a fish and <laughs> have just smelled a fish. And it's just kind of like that whole look. And it's like, oh, oh, oh daddy, daddy <laughs> bought me something nice. Do you want to get on my yard? <laughs> Um, so, uh, it's actually kind of funny cause 
you know, so here's this pretentious kid, right? Age 16, member of the Yacht Club. A couple years later, it was the early, it was the early onset of the Civil War. And mm-hmm. he actually went and he was a, uh, he served as a naval officer. And he spent a year at sea uh, on his ship in the service of the Union. Okay. Um, so legend has it that one well, night. Well, thank God he was on the right side. Right. Legend has it that one night on the water, the warning hoot of an owl woke up a sleeping Bennett and prevented his ship from running aground and wrecking. So because of this, and it's not really proved that the story is not proved true or not. It was the catalyst for his, what would eventually become a lifelong obsession with owls. And oh let, my. let me tell you about this man's obsession with owls. Bennett oh, Stephen. Oh, Stephen. I'm, <laughs> I'm clutching my pearls right now. I'm so excited. <laughs> Let me tell you about Bennett and his owls. So Bennett could not get enough of these birds, okay? He ran editorials on species preservations in the Herald, and he collected multiple living owls and statues of owls throughout his life. When he commissioned renowned architect Stanford White to design a brand new Herald building, he included plans to have the roof lined with bronze owl effigies whose eyes would flash at regular intervals with electric light. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I want it. I want the owl to tell time. Can I have the owl tell time? Like, oh, the owl's eyes just flashed three times. It's 3 p.m. <laughs> it's just... Hoo! I... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's like... Oh, oh, so also like... So Bennett has like been um, also um, described as the, the Gilded Ages version of Bruce Wayne as far as the, his playboy-esque nature and how much like, how much wealth he spent. So, like, I can just imagine, like, he's, like, instead of Batman, he's, like, Owlman. And he's, like, owl on the rooftop in between the two owls, like, in an owl, like, dark owl costume with his cape sweeping behind. It's the Gilded Age, of course, so everything's, like, super steampunky. And, like, the owls are, like, flashing in. Like, instead of the bat signal, it's the owl signal and the owl hoots whenever oh. there's danger nearby. Oh, this is an AU I can get behind. Right? I am writing this currently right now. So, anyways. <laughs> Work it into your D&D campaign. Right. <laughs> um, so Maybe that's going to be my next character in D&D, is someone who is, like, they're, they're a, a super Like, merchant. they believe there's a superhero. <laughs> but, but they believe they're a superhero, and they go out only at night wearing an owl costume. <laughs> By I day, they're a merchant. It. By night, they're the owl. <laughs> And like the first time they meet up with their party, like they have no idea. They're just like, they're just a traveling merchant. And like one night, one of the party wakes up, and the, the merchant's like getting on their owl costume and looking over at them, like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Anyways, getting back on a, track. I'm just a six foot tall owl. Who? Who? <laughs> getting back on track. Go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, so, so this building was designed, but the, the building was actually demolished several years later in 1921. What? But, but um, two of the owls still stand in the modern-day Herald Square in New York, and their eyes still glow a ghostly shade of green. 
Yes! They're still there. Do you have a picture? I did not think to get a picture of that, but I will find one and I will send Stephen, it to you. Stephen, you fool. I know. I know. I got prepared with a couple other things, but not with that particular particular picture. I'm sorry. It's I okay. I still love you. I still love you. Maybe, listeners, if I'm able to find this photo, I will put it up on our social meds. Yes. So, getting back into um, his love of yachts. Okay, so this is post-Civil War. You know, he's, you know, he's, a, he's a, still a young member of the Yacht Club. So this was so this is another one of his lifelong passions. Um, at the yacht club, his nickname was called the Mad Commodore. I hate it. Continue. So he engaged in you know you know a lot of different rich boy pastimes. You know, polo, ballooning, tennis, owls, you name it. Ballooning. Um, he won the first ever transatlantic yacht race in 1866, guiding his yacht, the Henrietta, on a two-week voyage from the New Jersey co- coast to the Isle of Wight. That's actually pretty cool. That's, that's an accomplishment. That's nifty. Aboard his next vessel, which was a steam yacht called the Nimona, he entertained you know, various artists, painters, a young Winston Churchill, Bon Vivants, different you know, people like that. So... Um, Yes, a young Winston Churchill. He entertained a young Winston Churchill aboard his steam yacht. I was just thinking that. I was like, oh, like, wasn't expecting to hear that name, like, in this context. But, yeah, I guess he would have been alive. Yes, he would have. So, to capitalize on his love of yachts, all of of these accomplishments, everything up until this point was completely outdone by his signature yacht called the Lysistrata, named after the famous Greek play Lysistrata. This he yacht, has three yachts? Yes, but this, this one was his crown jewel in his fleet, as it were. Ah. The Lysistrata was a 300-foot monster. That's a big boy. That's, that's a big boy. Take a guess at how much he spent on this Monster. What year is this? This is, this would have been 1867, 1868. No, this is uh, uh, 19, 19, around 1900, 1901. You were very off. <laughs> I was. I was. Um, his, his, his yacht race was won in 1866, but moving ahead to about 1901, 1902 is when oh, it was. Oh, okay, so this is like 30 ish years later, okay. Yes. Um, Oh, I'm still picturing him as a young man, but now he's definitely, like, middle-aged. Um, yes. Uh, okay. A million? Two million? 700,000. I don't know how much a yacht costs. <laughs> so, for this, he spent roughly, and that day and age is money, he spent 600,000 Dollars to build his 300-foot monstrosity, right? Yep. In yep. today's money, that's equivalent to $200 million. Fork me! Motherfucker! All right. Would, would you like to see a picture of Mr. James Gordon Bennett Jr.? God, do you even have to ask? Of course I do. Here he is. Oh, he's regal as hell. <laughs> yes, he is. He doesn't re- look at all what I had initially pictured with the fish lips. I'm a little he's, bit mad about that. He's stoic as he's, fuck. He's got a he's good mustache. He's regal as fuck. 
he's got a very good mustache and like he's got very piercing blue eyes. Oh no, he's handsome. Yes, he is. He is handsome. And he's a little bitch. A hundred percent. Oh boy, Th- them's is them's is fighting words. You just took off the gloves and threw them on the ground. Do you have a story to back that up? I do have a story to back that up. Oh, so I've got multiple up. stories. So his three hundred foot monster Lysistrata had onboard amenities such as a Turkish bath and even a autom- yes a Turkish bath, even a completely automated fan-cooled stall for his personal milk cow, which was responsible for making milk and the butter that was served every morning upon it for breakfast. He had a whole entire cow on the ship? One a, whole entire cow. Not a, This is not like a pirate ship where you have to transport the livestock no. in order to like eat and live. He this had, is a yacht. He had a luxury suite for this cow that was pampered daily and was responsible for making the butter, milk, cheese, all dairy products for their breakfast aboard I the ship. I want to be this cow. Can I be this cow? He also, I want to be a pampered cow. <laughs> he also employed a theater troupe. And he also had a luxury automobile, which he drove across Bermuda in 1906, marking the first car to ever touch the island's soil. Well, thank God you told me that he used it on an island, because the moment you said car on a boat, I was like, where is he going to take it? How is he going to use it? Does he drive it on deck like Mario Kart? (laughs) So... Moving on from his yacht, he also had a nickname called Wizard. That's a bad name. To say that Mr. Bennett lived it up would be uh, a definite understatement. Um, his partying was infamous. One of his like hobbies included driving a coach and four, which that means a coach and four horses, at breakneck speed throughout the streets, often in the very, very er- late hours in the night, early hours in the morning, and often nude was he alone yes he besides was besides the horses yes he was the horses witnessed some things yes they did he even ended up in the hospital once after uh, driving under a low archway in Paris and he clocked himself on the head what the hell is this man's life he was also a cocktail enthusiast one evening in 1877 he got completely drunk and he stumbled into a party thrown by the family of his would-be then fiance carolyn may and he proceeded to urinate into the fireplace in front of everyone amazing and he wasn't (sighs) kicked out nor was his his engagement like his engagement was called his engagement was called off and (sighs) and carolyn's brother frederick challenged him to a duel. Now, God, yes, consequences. Pistols at dawn were considered archaic by 1870s, but that didn't stop them. Um, But on the morning of, they were such bad shots, they completely missed each other, and they just put their pistols down and walked away. And that was the end of it. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. They're so dumb. I know, I know. Um, 
And another fun fact about Mr. Bennett was that reportedly he once threw a roll of money into a fire just because he couldn't fit it into his pocket. Oh, that's just, that's a ballsy dick move. Hand and a, that to somebody. And when a guest tried to pull it back out, he yelled at them because the fire was where he wanted the money to be. I swear I've heard that story before, but I thought it was associated with someone else. And oh, al- and this also, guy's a butt. Bennett bought an entire restaurant just because someone was sitting in his seat. <laughs> so. That's the biggest, like. <laughs> it's the oh, biggest douche thing ever. That's not even a douche thing. That's I'm impressed by that one. The money thing was, a, the money in the fire, that was a douche thing. The buying a restaurant just to be a petty bitch. Yeah. I can support 100% being a petty bitch. Like, flaunt <laughs> your cash, be a petty bitch, get through, buy a restaurant simply because you can. Yeah, just because you can, because he could. Um, but, Haley, I'd like to finish Mr. Bennett. And, I would, and it's perfectly fitting to cap this off with a another owl-themed incident. Thank you. This is everything I've wanted and more. As Mr. Bennett aged, his uh, affinity for the insanely opulent never waned. He had an idea for his final resting place when he passed. He proposed a, and I can hear you smiling on the other end of of this line. I'm smiling so hard right now. He proposed a 200 foot tall mausoleum built in the shape of of an owl. God bless this man. Inside God the, bless this extra, extra man. Inside the owl, a spiral staircase would lead visitors to the bird's eyes, which would be windows offering sweeping views of the city. When Bennett died, his body would be placed in a sarcophagus and suspended from the ceiling on chains to dangle in the middle of the monument. It wouldn't even be sitting somewhere. It's dangling. (sighs) Did he do it? Did he follow through with the owl mausoleum? I need to know. Unfortunately, his tomb never came to be. God damn it. Sadly. If there's one thing in this world, if I had a genie right now. (laughs) <laughs> and I had wishes. I would not wish for world peace. I would not uh, wish for my own personal wealth. I would wish for this man to have his goddamn owl mausoleum because I want to visit it. <laughs> Same. Oh, my heart is breaking that the owl mausoleum does not exist. Ah. Uh, well, that's okay because... He did eventually settle down and get married at the ripe old age of 73. Jesus! He was a bachelor for that long? He was. Uh, but he, and he did eventually pass away at uh, his villa in the, Riviera, in the Riviera in 1918. And thus ends the life of Night Owl. Nope, hate that. Owl man. Nope, Dark <laughs> Owl. Nope. Uh, I'll think owl of it later. Boy. <laughs> Alloy. Mr. Yes. Hootie. <laughs> Hootie Mr. and the Blowfish. <laughs> uh, Hootie and the Lysistrata. 
Athena's henchman. So thus ends the life of the fabulous playboy, the wizard, the mad commodore, the owl boy. Oh, no. Mr. Bennett Jr. Oh, Steven. Oh, I think that's the best one you've done in a very long time. And I love every topic you bring to this show. You're welcome. But this just... I don't even know how to explain how much this warmed every ounce of my being. Well, would you like a small little icing on the cake? Would you like a picture of the Lysistrata? Yes, yes, of course I would. Oh, she fancy. So this is an actual model that was recreated in detail. Um, you'll ha- I, if you can zoom in a little bit, um, on the what you'll see the, the far right hand side, the mast is actually a golden owl. Because of course it is. <laughs> because of course because it is. Because of course it is. So there you have it. Oh, I love this extremely extra dumb fuck of a man. I can't even begin to explain. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Thank you, Stephen. You're more than welcome. All right, um, so, hmm? Oh, no, I just have a, uh, there's a little, there's a little baby girl crying in her room. Oh, but it's her birthday. It is her birthday, and she even got, she even got a sweetie treat after dinner tonight. Oh, then what is there to cry about? I know, exactly, right? Hashtag two-year-old things. Yes. So. So, <sighs> we've reached the middle. And yes. as we've been trying in, in the past couple of episodes, I don't remember when we started this, we are going to start as kind of our buffer transition zone in between stories to the palate cleanser, if you will. Um, do some some nice little uh, fun facts, some little nerbits about uh, about the things that are happening in, in rich people world. And um, yes. we have been having a, a hard time coming up with uh, with a name for this segment. And I actually uh, was gifted some very lovely suggestions today by imager user Ooh. Sir Dickwad. And I love that name. Uh, yeah, nice. His, Good job, guy. Yeah, his real or name gal. is Andrew. His real okay. name is Andrew. He told me to also include that. But um, Thanks, Andrew. Hey, man. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Uh, but anyway, so he has gifted us with some very good ones. And then uh, upon him suggesting many names, uh, uh, inspired me to come up with a name. So I'm going to run these out for you for, for name ideas. You tell me your favorite. And then right. either we decide on one now or we decide on the few that we want to put in a poll. Either one is fine with me. Got it. Let's do it. All right. So first up, we have money moments. Uh, a quick change. Of topic. Uh, Yeah, that's a good pun. I like that one. Uh, Cash out. uh, Check in. um, Hold on. Cheddar chat. (laughs) (laughs) I like cheddar chat. Um, Coin chatter. Uh, (laughs) He says that his favorites are quick change of topic and cheddar chat. Um, And Mm. then... And then the ones that I came up with, I thought of chump change, and I also thought of spread the wealth. 
Okay, so right away, my top two is Chump Change and then the... Uh, uh, what was the second one you read that, that, we, that I liked? The Chatter the, Chat or The Change of Topic? The Change of Topic. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that's, my, that's my top two is, is Chump Change. Ooh, I really like Chump Change, though. I also like Chump Change. I was very excited when I came up with that. Uh, I like. That I don't think Andrew will be offended if we don't use one of his because I did already compliment him profusely for giving me them. Oh, wonderful! Um, so why don't I mean? Let's put let's put up a poll. Let's do um, a change in topic. Mm-hmm. Chump change, and then I say cheddar chat. Cheddar chat. Yeah, let's let's do those three and see what people yep. say. Yep, let's do um, it. But I think for right now, let's let's call this segment Chump Change just to just to, you know, get it out there. Do whatever. All right. Um, Chump Change. Chump Change. So uh, the little the little fun nerbit that I found for today, I was looking for stuff that was Halloween themed. And I do have a very good Halloween themed one for uh, our Halloween episode next week. Nice. Uh, this one is also kind of fall themed, but it is uh, not nearly as Halloweeny as the one I will be presenting next week. So, here could do. Yes. Um, so basically, I read an article saying that uh, basically large pumpkins, giant pumpkins, behemoth-sized pumpkins are uh, now very much so a thing. In this autumn time filled craze that is Halloween and October. Understandable. Yes. yes. And um, first of all, you can win an insane amount of money uh, as a prize if you like enter it into a contest. And okay. um, basically, one, in 1984, there was uh, a Massachusetts contest for uh, how, uh, you know, large pumpkin. The largest pumpkin weighed 433 pounds. That was in 1984. That's a big boy. That's a big boy, but it's not nearly as big as in 2012, Ron Wallace, a Rhode Island grower, became the first to pass the 2,000 pound mark for his Uh, pumpkin. uh, He won first prize of $15,000 or $15,500 at a Massachusetts contest with his 2,009 pound squash. That's a that's a big squash. That's a big <gasps> squash. Oh my goodness. That's a big <laughs> squash. Also, uh included in this not only just winning, you know, $15,000 uh for your 2,000 pound squish, um you can buy an over like a pumpkin seed to help you get your two thousand pound monstrosity. And uh, do you want to know how much uh, a a prize pumpkin seed could cost you? A prize pumpkin seed. Mm-hmm. I would love to know. Try sixteen hundred dollars on for size. Holy moly, Batman! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You could say that would literally squash my wallet. <laughs> Am my I right? My bank account has officially been squashed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So anyways, that was my fact for chump change. What a wonderful what a wonderful chump change fact. Well, uh, I'm going to uh, 
throw uh, a couple uh, pieces of change into the change machine and keep this little uh, fun ride rolling. Into the change jar. <laughs> into the change jar. Yep, I'm gonna, th- I'm, gonna th- I'm gonna throw some more ch- change in the change jar. Haley, you yes. like dog. You like doggos, don't I you? I do like doggos. I own a doggo, and you've probably the Gilded Gang has uh, listened to my doggo <laughs> walking in and out of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> many times, I took her collars off, but she's still like. She keeps finding balls and then bringing them to me, but she doesn't drop them nicely. She drops them like she throws them at my feet, so they go. So if anyone hears that, that's my that's my dumb strudel coming on through with her balls. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, big old balls. Uh, Moving on to doggos. She's a lady. She's a lady. Uh, Doggos. So doggos. Yes, so I would say most people like doggos. I know that uh, my kiddos like doggos well because they're getting more used to them. We have some really close friends of ours that have two. Um, they're 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 German Shepherd and Rot mix, but they're really really nice. And I mean, mine I mean, is a German Shepherd, so I believe it. Big doggos are nice. Yeah, um, these are actually uh, shelter pups that uh, they got when they were real little, and they'd they'd been kind of abused before and. That sounds like my doggy. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, they're they're big doggos now. But uh, every time we go over, of course, Lincoln and Stella, they, my kids, they love seeing. Um, and their names are Rambo and Shelby. Those are very good names. Yes, and uh, they're such good dogs. So I was, uh, we were talking about actually, Shelly and I, my wife, and we were talking about you know at one point getting a doggo for our kiddos whenever they get a little bit older, you know, can handle a little bit more responsibility, you know, they're a little more mature. Aren't going to get pushed over by the dog. No, yeah, exactly. So, and I was thinking the other day, I was like, you know, how much is it to like to buy a dog? And you know, some it's a lot unless yeah. you adopt. Adopting is much cheaper. It is. You know, some dogs can get you know to four or five hundred dollars, and even past a thousand dollars if you're looking for like a pretty nice breed. Oh, I've seen two grand for yeah. like golden doodle puppies. Yeah. So I found this adorable pup. And I saw a picture of it. I was like, oh, I wonder what type of dog that is. And I looked it up. And this particular dog is called, um, and I'm going to horribly mispronounce the uh, the breed name. So I apologize for any of you dog lovers. Um, but the name is S-A-M-O-Y-E-D. A Samoyed? Samoyed? It's a Samoyed. It's a Samoyed. Um, at least that's how I've always pronounced it. it. A lot of people just call them Sammies. Sammy's, yes. So um, it's a it's a large herding dog from Siberia, and it lives typically between twelve to thirteen years on they average. They look like giant clouds. Yes, they're beautiful, thick, white double layer coats. Absolutely beautiful, very intelligent, very sociable, very inquisitive. But they're also becoming incredibly rare. Because of this, guess how much on average it costs to buy a Samoyed or a Sammy. A lot. I'm going to guess like two grand. Two grand? Yeah. Try that multiplied by seven. What? $14,000. What? Now. It's, they are now 14000 thousand dollars. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's too much money. That's far more than I ever had. That's some good chump change, Steven. Yeah, right? That's a lot of chump change. So if you're interested and you've got. Well, 
if you've got 14 grand lying around and you want a really cute doggo, there's one that you can buy for only 14 grand. That's too much. Okay, I think with that, that ends chump change. <laughs> yes. Also, I think we've just decided this segment is chump change. It's not even going on the poll. <laughs> it's not even going on the poll. <laughs> <laughs> we just added some change to the change jar. We're good. <laughs> Yes. Oh, maybe Clink. I can find some little coins clinking sound effect. We'll find out if I'm not lazy enough to do that. Yes. So, right. Miss Haley, what do you got for me tonight? Okay, what I got for you. Uh, at the very end, it gets a little bit spoopy. A little bit spoopy in honor of it being a spooky Halloween season. But this is not my spooky Halloween episode because it is got only it. like one paragraph of the spoop. Okay, um, I like I like the spoop. Yep. So, Gladys Louise Smith was born on April 8th, 1892 in Toronto, Canada. She was born to a poor family, and when her mother was widowed in 1898, her family decided to run a boarding house to try to make ends meet. It was here that a stage manager for a local theater company suggested that little Gladys and her younger sister picked up child actor roles in his plays. And yeah. thus, by the early 1900s, somehow the whole dang Smith family became traveling actors. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. I'm, I'm buckled in. You're, you are on board. Um. In 1907, little Gladys made her way to Broadway, and she promptly adopted a new name, a stage name, Mary Pickford. Uh, do you know Mary Pickford? Yeah. Yeah? This is Gladys? This is Gladys. What? Yeah. Okay. I did not know that Mary okay. Pickford had a different name, but she did, and it was Gladys. So anyways... Uh, Mary Pickford decided uh, that she would take any goddamn role she could get her hands on, whether it was for uh, theater or silent films, just so she could get her face and her name out there. Yep. She wanted um, what she ended up doing was she went to go and work for a Nickelodeon film company, not not, you know, the company Nickelodeon, but like for the movies Nickelodeon so put another nickel in, Nickel-na- in the Nickelodeon. They were short films. Yep, um, yep, yep. Yeah. So she worked for a Nickelodeon film company called Biograph. Um, A lot of information that I got here was from Wikipedia. So Wikipedia says, quote, uh, most Biograph actors earned five dollars a day. But after Pickford's single day in the studio, Griffith agreed to pay uh, her ten dollars a day against a guarantee of forty dollars a week. Oh, wow. Okay. She was that good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So uh, in the year 1909, so that was when she was uh, 15 years old and she was making more than everyone else in the studio. Easily. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so let's move forward two years to the year 1909. She's 17 years old. She appeared in 51 Biograph Nickelodeon films in one year. That is bananas. That's amazing. 51. So... What happened was she really hit her stride when she was picked up by the company that eventually became Paramount Pictures. Um, Yeah, that's a lucky break. Uh, She was one of the first stars to have her name up on the marquee marketing for the film. 
uh, come see Mary Pickford in, in you know, movie. Yeah. Um, movie. 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 Come see movie. Come see movie. And remember, these are all silent films. So she was, um, basically, she eventually starred in a movie that sent, quote, sent her career into orbit and made her the most popular actress in America, if not the world. <laughs> If not the world. The world. Um, and only Charlie Chaplin surpassed her in popularity, and that was an extremely slim margin. Ooh. Yeah. That I did, that I did not know. Yeah. But then again, Charlie Chaplin was Charlie Chaplin. I mean, Charlie Chaplin was Charlie Chaplin, which, by the way, we will discuss later. She becomes very good friends with Charlie Chaplin, and he shows up at her house a lot. Um, mm. <laughs> so... Bang. Burnout? No, not like that. Uh, I, well, maybe like that, but I don't think like that. Um, okay. So she was so profitable that she signed a contract in 1916 that granted her full authority over the production of the films in which she starred and a record-breaking salary of $10,000 a week. And this, what, year, what year is this? 1916. $10,000 a week? A week in 1916. Do you want to have any guesses on what that is in today's money? Gosh, she probably made... With inflation... She probably made, what, 125000 a week? Ooh, not even. She made $235,558.72. Hey, give me some credit. I was a hundred thousand oh, off. You were a hundred thousand off, but that's still a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> hey, that's a hundred. Yeah, hundred thousand dollars more than I've got. Yeah, that's way sure. more money than I got. So, Pickford's compensation was half of a film's profits. This was in her contract. She gets half of whatever the movie makes. Oh, and she she pulled the wool over someone's eyes. Oh yeah, and she straight away. Are you whining? Oh, speaking of doggos. Hey, doggo. Speaking of doggos, she just showed up and then just got, like, real whiny because I stopped petting her. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that, Gilded Gang. I'm going to keep throwing out Gilded Gang as many times as it takes for it to stick. Um, hey, it's okay because they're the Gilded Gang. They are the Gilded... Gilded Gang <laughs> is The Gilded here. Gang rides again. <laughs> <laughs> Get them, boys. Okay. Uh, so anyways, yeah, so she gets half of a film's profits with a guarantee of $1,040,000, which is $18 million in 2019. Okay. Uh-huh. She gets a lot of money. <laughs> but she, like, was actually pretty awesome because she used her stardom to raise a boatload of money for a lot of charities. She was at her prominence during World War One, And mm. so what she did was she became a huge proponent of selling Liberty Bonds. And um, apparently during a single speech, a single speech, she managed to sell $5 million worth of bonds. Bananas. One speech. That's all it took for America's sweetheart to get up onto the podium and be like, well, golly gee, I sure do think that you all should support our troops and buy some bonds. And then everyone said, yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. We'll buy those bonds. Yes, Mary Pickford. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that all those people were the original Gilded Gang. Oh. <laughs> 
Anyways, all right, I'm done. Okay, so um, once uh, for a charity, she auctioned off a lock of one of her signature curls because if you look up a photo of her, one, she's gorgeous, but two, she has long, like, huge ringlet hair. Like, mm, and so she... Like, like mm-hmm. um, um, oh my goodness, why? Like, like uh, Little Orphan Annie? Like that, but like very large, very large curls. Hold. Okay. Yeah. So hold on. Like like Shirley Temple curls. Yeah, I would say closer to Shirley Temple. Hold on. Let's. Here we go. Let's let's do it. Ooh, sorry for the wait, everybody. I am struggle bussing today. That's okay. Okay. Look at that hair. It's gorgeous, but they're just these huge fucking girls. Yeah, no. So um, how much would you say one of those locks of hair would uh, could be auctioned off for during World War One? Three hundred thousand. No, no, it was fifteen thousand, but. Oh, that was way off again. You were way Fif- off, but that's okay. Fifteen, 15 grand dollars for one lock of hair. And I'm sure people bought that shit up. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure it's in a museum nowadays, or it's somebody's prized possession. That like, oh, my grandma bought this in a in a, an auction in 1918. See, I feel like the person who would have that is probably like a creeper. Probably, I bet a weird ass stalker took that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Creepers are in every generation. True. Yep. True so, true that. To continue, in 1919, she got engaged to the man who would become the second half of her Hollywood power couple, Douglas okay. Fairbanks. So, Douglas Fairbanks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. For context, for people who do not know the silent film stars of the 1920s, um. Basically, when I'm saying that these two are a power couple, I'm saying that they were the original Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Angelina Jolie. Like, yes. they were the power couple. It's America's sweetheart marrying America's hero. Those were what they were known as in the newspapers. Sweetheart, yep. hero. <laughs> it was the Swiro. perfect pairing. The swear Um, So... When they got engaged in 1920, Fairbanks, the um, Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks, the man, uh, bought a hunting lodge in Beverly Hills and then proceeded to spend the next five years remodeling the lodge into a four story, 25 room mansion with stables, servants quarters, a tennis court, a guest wing, garages, and it was the first private property uh I don't know if ever or in California to have an in-ground swimming pool. Ooh. Uh, do you want to take a guess on how big this swimming pool is? Um, big? It's very big. It was so big that there is a photo of them sitting in a canoe in their pool. <gasps> it's so big. It's Let so me see big. This thing. And in the photo, you can see the uh, house in the background, which is definitely a mansion. But like, I don't know. To me, it seems like kind of quaint. And then the more that you look at it, you're like, no, wait a minute. That's a huge dang house. Why is that house yeah. so big? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, looking at like of like just linear perspective wise, like that is a huge house. Um, also, there's a very wonderful photo that I'm going to send to you of um, Pickford and Fairbanks on their slide going into the pool. And they have their arms out and they're like up they against each other. Yeah, they had a slide. But I just want to point out that this slide, for all the money that they have, they couldn't get a slide that was any less scary because I swear to God, it's a 90 degree <sighs> drop. <laughs> Look at that thing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's, it's that's a straight, a, it's a, it's a, a metal coaster. slide and it's a 90 degree drop and then just like a slight pivot. <laughs> a slight pivot into the water. It's a little bit horrifying. Oh my gosh. So these guys were like rich. Very rich. I mean, Hella rich. Remember how much that Mary is making off of each movie that she does. And um, basically, to, to kind of explain things, once the silent movies started going out of fashion and the talkies started coming in, both of them had a lot of trouble getting into the talkies. Mary Pickford had a lot easier of a time than Douglas Fairbanks, but it was something very rocky in their relationship when uh, the roles weren't coming as quickly. But during the height of their, of their being together and their fame... Uh, the mansion was super popular and it was gifted the name Pickfair by the press and it stuck. Mm. So that is known as, so that mansion is known as Pickfair Mansion. Okay. I'll and buy it. it's, it's just, you uh, know, the combination really, of their names. It's the, the power couple, instead of Brangelina, it's Pickfair. Um, Got it. Yeah. Love it. So uh, the 12 acre property, it's 12 acres. Uh, was the image of English Regency, complete with frescoed ceilings, gold <gasps> leaf, mahogany, oh like mahogany everywhere. Uh, cue, <laughs> cue the Hunger Games. That is mahogany. Um, <laughs> 18th century period furniture that she, Mary Pickford very specifically wanted actual 18th century furniture. Like she went out and found like real real gosh diddly dang furniture gosh diddly dang gosh diddly dang um it's Love it's it. just insane that she was like no no it has to be from the period Ooh, i'm looking at a very lovely lovely dinner table and chairs and a nice drop down chandelier and look at that ceiling yeah that's the detail There's the detail work that, that ceiling definitely is molded. It's, yeah. It's very pretty. Everything has just a shine to it. Like somebody just took all the lemon pledge in the house and dumped it on top and of the yeah, table. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. You could see your reflection for days in that table. Absolutely, you can. So, anyways, Pickfair was not just the image of Regency. It became the most popular party destination of L.A. in the 20s. Uh, so I'm just going to real quick rattle off a list of all of the celebrities who managed to find their way to Pickfair during the many ragers that happened at this house. Um, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin, Greta yep. Garbo, Sir Arthur okay. Conan Doyle, <gasps> all right. the Lord and Lady Mountbatten, who happened <gasps> to be, you know, Prince Philip's parents. Yep. Yep. Uh, Helen Keller. <laughs> Which, that one seems the strangest out of everyone on the list. 
But um, how did she find her way there? I mean, she had people taking her places. Um, Albert Einstein got to go to a party. <laughs> and also the king and queen of Siam. Of course. Yeah. Of course they did. Of course, of course they did. So to quote a 1947 Life magazine article, quote, in the 20s, Doug and Mary were the undisputed king and queen of Hollywood, and Pickfair, staged by 18 servants, was a gathering place only slightly less important than the White House. Only slightly less important than the White House. Wait, hold says. on, let me continue. Only slightly less important than the White House, and much more fun. <laughs> <laughs> So nobody can have said to arrived in Hollywood or even the States because so many people from outside the U.S. came specifically to be invited to go to Pickfair. <laughs> so oh I've got gosh. a picture of um, Charlie Chaplin sitting on a suitcase with uh, Mary Pickford and uh, Douglas Fairbanks. And Charlie Chaplin is just, like, leaning over his shoulder and giving, like, the most sly little smile of just, like, Hello! I know I'm fabulous! <laughs> I've seen this photo before. Yeah, so that's that's them. They're apparently all good friends. I mean, I would suspect that they would be, considering that Mary Pickford was only marginally less popular than Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's such a cool photo. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and bring this down a little. Some some little womp womp. The power no. couple divorced in 1936. No. Uh, but, but Mary Bickford kept the house until her death in 1979. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Because she's a real bala. Yeah, she is. So, anyways, um, that remained in her uh, in her hands until her death. And then, in 1988, the house was bought by actress Pia Zadora. I don't know who the hell this bitch is. Apparently, she was popular in the 80s. But uh, Pia Zadora got her grubby little hands on it, and a lot of people are still extremely angry at her for this one. She demolished the mansion. What? She demolished the mansion and replaced it with a Venetian-style home. Would you like to know the reason? Sure. Originally, for years, Pia claimed that the old house was infested with termites, that it was just on its last legs, fallen apart, hadn't been kept in good repair, it was being chewed through. And then, years later, she did an interview... And admitted that as soon as she and her family moved into the house, a female ghost appeared to her children at night and would frighten them. Within time, she too saw the ghost. It was a ghost of a woman dressed in 1920s attire who was always laughing. And her quote is, You can deal with termites. You can deal with plumbing issues. But you can't deal with the supernatural. Justice. Yeah, so people are still extremely pissed off that she destroyed such a huge part of the Hollywood golden era of history. Like, 
Fuck unreal. you, Pia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Who do you think you are? Jeez. This. Oh, my gosh. That. That makes me angry I know. to my core. I'm like, that's so much history. And why didn't you just move out if there was a ghost haunting it? <laughs> like, you didn't have to destroy it. And she even had other quotes where she's like, I loved that house. I never wanted to destroy it. I wanted to live in it forever. But then and then after that was like her quote about like, you can deal with termites, but you can't deal with the supernatural. Um, <clears throat> unreal. Unreal. That, as I like to quote myself often, is bananas. <laughs> B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Bananas. Oh, yes. So uh, just before signing off here, I want to say that a lot of my information about Pickfair came from Wikipedia as well as the Daily Mail. And uh, the Pia Zadora thing came from a thing called AlanEllenberger.com. <laughs> Alan and Ellenberger. Yeah, I think it was a th it was an entire thing written by a guy named Alan R. Ellenberger, and his buddy. Your name, you should have pulled a Mary Pickford and just changed your name from Gladys to Mary. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so that's everything that I have for you about Pickfair. Uh, Pickfair, no Pickfair, and Pickford. <laughs> Mary Pickford, Robert. Nope, not Robert. Robert Fairbanks is not a thing. Douglas Fairbanks. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> I'm trying my best. Um, so, any hoozles, um, thanks for listening, my lovely Gilded Gang. The Gilded Gang. The Gilded Gang rides again, and you can you can hop on your horses and find us again next week because we will be releasing an episode for Halloween. Yes, and we that will. will be a spoopy themed episode. Spoopy. Spoopy. Um, but I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see the photos that we posted, go ahead and uh, check out our Instagram or our Twitter. So outrageously unnecessary is our Instagram and at ohunnecessarypod is our Twitter. And please interact with us because you too could be mentioned on this show. And yeah. 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 I think we're done. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Yeah. We'll see you next week. <laughs>